We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Noha Abdallah. I'm going to gush on you for a minute, Noha, to give our listeners some awareness of your accomplishments. Noha earned an MBA and a bachelor's in international economics from Georgetown University. She held leadership positions at Capital One, Animal Planet, Discovery Health Channel, and American Red Cross. In 2015, Noha was named one of Adweek's top 50 marketers. And throughout the following three years, her and her team won five Clio Awards. And for many years, she served as the Global Vice President of Digital Marketing at Hilton and was the recipient of the CMO Innovation Award. And currently, she's the Chief Marketing Officer, CMO at My Eye Doctor. She's invested in her strong marriage and has three incredible daughters. Of all of your impressive accomplishments, Noha, what I admire most about you is your character. You are consistent, genuine, honest, fun, kind, and extremely generous. We met at our beach community in Delaware, and we have developed a beautiful friendship over the years. Welcome to ROG, Noha. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. What an honor. It's such a pleasure. I can't wait to share you with everyone. Let's start off with a little bit of your life history. Tell us about Noha. So I was born here in the U.S. to parents who had immigrated from Egypt. I have an older brother. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and we've always been taught in our home that we are a little different from everyone else around us. So I grew up in a household where we were spoken to in Arabic and we were expected to respond back in Arabic. Didn't always happen, but it was expected. I grew up in a Muslim household where we were taught about our religion of Islam and we had you know, slightly different values from many of our friends that we went to, to school with and who we were in the community with. A large part of my upbringing was based on our heritage of being both Muslim and Egyptian and our parents trying to desperately hold on to a part of that in a kind of broader American community. I have to say, as a child, it was hard. Um, So not only did I look different from my friends, my name was different. I had curly hair, my skin color was different. And I think our parents often would call out, we don't celebrate that holiday. We don't do it that way in our house. That's not allowed in our religion. It was hard as a child to be continuously reminded about how you are different from your friends. Hindsight being 2020 is character building, right? You know, while you're in it, it's hard. As a kid, you never want to be different. You never want to stand out as a kid. But looking back at it now as a parent and understanding how important those values were in helping me become who I am and wanting to teach those same values to my kids, I realized that it was a huge advantage and benefit because it taught me how to be proud of who I am, how to stand up for my beliefs and how important it was to live my life in a values-driven way. So I think really actually helped prepare me for many other challenging times in my life, right? So how to overcome those challenges, I think all comes back to the fact that I had to overcome a lot of them as a child, but I was given kind of that moral compass to do so. 
But I think there's a lot of examples where my parents were just a little bit more kind of conservative about letting me go on a beach trip with friends, having that sleepover, going to a party, that kind of stuff. And so I, I don't think there was any one story that kind of pops out in my mind other than um, continuing to kind of be reminded that we just do things differently. And that's okay. I think that probably brings true in your own parenting is that it's okay to do things differently. It's okay to have your own way in which you operate your life. And it's absolutely encouraged to live your values. I would love to learn more about the meaning of Ramadan and how that connects to the topic of generosity. Yeah, absolutely. So as a practicing Muslim, my family and I observe the month of Ramadan, which many people, if they know anything about it, know that you're not allowed to eat or drink from dawn until sunset for 30 days. And the first question that we always get is not even water. And the answer is, that's correct, not even water. But I actually think that what people don't know, which is a lot of the kind of meaning and and benefit of observing the month of Ramadan, is not about the food and drink. It is about the time that you take during this month to get closer to God, to reflect on all the blessings that you have, and ultimately to give back to others. And so it's this idea that during the month of Ramadan is when you should really stop to think about all the things that you have and all the things that others do not. And how do you share in the blessings that you have with others? In our religion, it is very important that you give a portion of your wealth to the less fortunate. And so it's during the month of Ramadan where you actually sit down and make sure that you calculate that amount that you have to give back. It's two and a half percent of your kind of cash on hand or your liquid assets, if you will. And if you're practicing, um, that's a really important kind of part of the month is, is making that donation. In addition, during the month, you are to practice really patience. You probably know that's the saying of being hangry, right? When you're hungry, you don't have a lot of patience for people, for others, for things that go wrong. But during the month of Ramadan, you are to be very careful that you don't lose your cool, you don't curse, you don't snap at people, all the things that are going to be that much more tempting because you haven't eaten or drinking. And so you really do have to practice not only being able to abstain from eating and drinking, but you have to be able to abstain from those behaviors that are just going to naturally come out when you haven't had anything to eat or drink. Wow. Yeah, I remember learning about Ramadan and finding this word sub, it's spelled S-A-B-R. Sub. Which means patience and gratitude. And one of the definitions that I found really spoke to me because it said that patience is not about how long you can wait, but how well you behave while you're waiting. (laughs) So for those of us who are working on being more patient and really honoring that attribute in others and valuing it, exactly what you're saying is when you're in situations that could cause you to be upset, short-tempered, maybe use foul language, anticipate that and then think, okay, how am I going to hold myself accountable to being patient in this way? It's all about how I behave while I'm waiting. That's right. And oftentimes I'm talking to my children about this very topic. We will commiserate together that this is really hard when the month of Ramadan falls in a time period where the day is long, the the sun is out for a long time, it feels like, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And I have to remind my kids that you can do it. And you put your faith in God 
that he's going to help you do it. It is that patience of waiting for that sun to go down, right? But it's also kind of this idea that if you put your faith in God, you can accomplish anything. And so having patience, not just for when you can start eating and drinking again, but having patience for achieving the goal that you set out for yourself, whether it be in work or in school or in a sport or an extracurricular, that saying that, you know, good things come to those who wait. Well, that applies in this case, too. And it's those who wait and those who have faith. During Ramadan, it's even more important that you do your prayers on time, but also that you do extra prayers and you get extra rewards for doing those extra prayers. And typically those extra prayers are in the evening after you've broken your fast. And so as a family, we will typically do those evening prayers together and talk about the meaning of those extra prayers and how you're tired. You finally have energy because you've eaten something and drinking something. So you want to go get your homework done or your work done or whatever, but it's actually the time to spend more time, you know, thanking God for the blessings that you have. We also spend more time with family and friends, typically, when we're not in a pandemic during the month of Ramadan. So it's it's very common to break your fast with family and community members to even do so at the mosque where the less fortunate can come and get a free meal. And you can also share in that meal with them. And then you stay and you pray together, oftentimes through the night. So it is a month of little sleep, but lots of connection. Yes. Lots of connection, reflection, really perspective taking. It sounds like it gives you perspective. And I love the idea of reflecting with your family on the prayers at the end of the day of like, what does this mean to you? What does this speak to you? What is this bringing up for you? I imagine you've had some incredible conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And really... It's been really nice to see my daughters lean into the month and wanting to fast as many days as possible, where I can sometimes say, oh, you don't have to fast today, you have a test, or oh, you don't have to fast today, you have a soccer game. And they want to. And they get excited about the challenge and the opportunity to say, oh, I did this many days. And so it it is really nice to see them kind of lean into it and understand the meaning of it. For sure. And, you know, as parents, we don't get report cards, but I would imagine that would be in a parental mindset of a win, right? That's, that's, that's a sign of success when your child chooses to continue to have the discipline to do the fasting and, you know, stick with the tradition so that they get the benefit. Because like you said, it, it's that sacrifice that has so many rewards, but they must have experienced that or they would not be as interested, I'm sure. When you talk about the time that you invest that month in how you want to contribute, how you want to invest and give back, and then you've also probably thought about ways in which you also want to serve. And I know that you and Selma have invested time and energy in a mission trip called Bridges to Community. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my husband's brother and wife, brother and sister-in-law, they have taken their children on these trips for many, many years. And they all always told Selma that when she turns 13, she can go on her first trip. And so two years ago, when Selma turned 13, I think it was the week she turned 13, I joined her on a trip and them on a trip to the Dominican Republic. Our mission for the week was to build two latrines, as well as to plant a lime tree orchard for a family there. The one family that we built a latrine for had five children. And the look on this family's face to find out that they had been granted this gift and just how thankful they were and how they expressed that gratitude was life-changing. 
When we come back, Noha will share about how she has witnessed generosity in the organizations she has worked with. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. And we're back with more from Chief Marketing Officer, my eye doctor, Noha Abdallah. The other family that we built a latrine for was actually a single man who was born blind and he uh, really wanted to live on his own. So he lived in a house behind his sister's house and he didn't have a bathroom. So he was using his yard and they couldn't get him to use the same spot in the yard. And so it was beginning to become a health issue for animals and children who were running around in the village. So again, putting a latrine in a place in the yard where he could reliably take the number of steps he needed to get into it and use it was also hugely rewarding for not just him, but for others in the community who are now kind of in a more safe environment. Yes. It demonstrates another benefit to having a latrine or a specific place to take care of what you need to take care of and likely perspective that most of us don't have given running water and the kind of environments that many of us live in. So that's also a great way for us to reflect on our blessings and our and how fortunate we are. It's just an opportunity to have perspective about these things. So you are by far one of the most generous people I've ever known. And I've said that to you and you blush and you say, no, my gosh, no, it's nothing. And it's not nothing. You, you are just one of those people that you would give anyone the shirt off your back. So talk to me about how you've seen generosity at work. Like what are ways in which you've witnessed generosity in the workplace? I was, again, fortunate enough to to work at a few companies that had values that aligned to mine. One example would be Hilton. So I worked at Hilton Worldwide for two years. And while I was there, the, the pandemic had struck. And Immediately, that meant that the core business that we were in, which was to provide hotels and lodging for people, was no longer relevant. Nobody was traveling. Nobody was leaving their home. And so that was a huge hardship on the financials of the company. And yet the immediate thing that we did was decide to give away our hotel rooms for free to frontline workers who it immediately became apparent couldn't go home after their shifts because they were going to put their families at risk. And so the company pulled together with a partner, American Express, to donate a million rooms to frontline workers. And it was that spirit of generosity, right, that I just would have never imagined that a big corporation would do in a time when in itself was hurting as a company. And I had the fortune of working on this partnership and having it and and helping to bring it to life and helping to market it, right? So normally my job was to market people to actually come to our website and book and pay for a hotel room. And now it was my job to get out in front of frontline workers and say, we have this for free. And if I could tell you the number of people who didn't believe that it was true, writing on our social media wall saying, is this true? Are you really giving it away for free? What's the catch, Right. And it's like, no, that's that's what this company is about. 
And, and it made me really proud. And the long hours and the hard work didn't matter because we were doing something that really mattered at a time when people needed it. That's remarkable. I so appreciate that example, that innovation. It's, it's, it's a great reminder for all of us to say, what do I have? What are the resources that I have access to? For some of us, it's time. For some of us, it's talent, right? I have a, an ability that I can offer you support with. In the case of Hilton, it was like, I have these empty hotel rooms, these safe havens for these frontline workers to occupy while they're doing this essential work and we're protecting them from harming their families because we know the the weight that that felt on those individuals, any of us who have frontline workers in our family, we know how hard it was for them to think about what if I affected you and all of that pain? So it was it was something so remarkable and innovative and in, in how you fed them with your partnership with Chef Jose Andreas, right? One of the most renowned chefs who got so much more stardom, I think, during the pandemic because of his incredible generosity. When you talked about how companies treat their associates, how did Hilton handle that setback, that financial setback from not having the business that they otherwise would have to employ so many people? Yeah. So unfortunately, we did have to lay off employees. We had to furlough employees, which meant that they didn't work for a certain period of time and got a reduction in pay. But also the employees who stayed also had to take a reduction in pay. Those who were still working kind of felt some of the impact as well. But I think what really shocked me and was so amazing was that the company entered into partnerships with companies who needed employees during this time. So think about Amazons of the world who needed more warehouse workers and delivery drivers, the Walmarts of the world who same thing needed more people working in stores and in warehouses and really making a an attempt to connect our employees who are out of work with those new jobs that were being created as a result of the pandemic and give them kind of a, a first crack at it. So the company launched a website where um, all these jobs from these other companies were listed and Hilton employees got first dips to try to get into those spots. And so again, it was really unique way to think about our HR team who normally would be recruiting people to come work for Hilton turned around and helped our own employees find jobs at other companies. What a brilliant example of generosity in, in its finest hour. Generosity that they will not benefit directly from those acts of kindness and that way of networking. I mean, perhaps in the long run, we all trust that they will. But in the short run, what mattered to them the most is the well-being of those associates. And to your point earlier, it doesn't matter what it says in your handbook or on the wall in the lobby. What matters is how do you act in a moment of crisis? And so most recently, you now are the chief marketing officer for My Eye Doctor. And I can only imagine that their mission speaks to you as well, because that is also really inspiring. So talk to us about what you've seen at My Eye Doctor. Yeah, so it's been an amazing company to join. Obviously, the mission of the company is to help people live the best life that they possibly can, help people look and see their best, right? So they can live their best life. That's really what we're after here. And what I've been able to witness is, again, during the pandemic, 
the company's values around supporting all of its employees and associates in ways that could have never been imagined before. So again, some people lost their jobs, some people had to cut back on their hours, et cetera. But the company's CEO, Sue Downs, she's the founder and CEO of the company, created the One Family Fund. And what that meant was that she personally and her, she and her husband made a contribution to a charitable fund and invited others, both at the company and outside the company, to contribute to this fund that then employees who were impacted financially by the pandemic could benefit from and could get grants to help them make rent, buy food, et cetera. And again, you just wouldn't think that a company of our size and scale would start a nonprofit fund, if you will, to help its own employees. But it was quite remarkable how quickly that happened and how quickly people came forward to fund it. Love that. That collective, right? And I love the title of it, One Family, which reminds you that you're part of a group. You belong here. We will take care of each other and literally take care of each other financially and emotionally. That's such a great example. I would also say I see the values of the company come through in terms of how we treat our patients, right? So we have an online appointment booking system where you go online, you set up your appointment to come in and see an optometrist. There's also going to be instances when someone calls or goes online and finds there isn't an available appointment and has, you know, an eye emergency. And so time and time again, I've seen our office associates work somebody into the schedule on a, an hour's notice, right? Because they're not sure something's going on and they're not sure. And we take that patient, we figure out how to schedule them into that day that's already feels very booked. And just because we were able to do that, we were able to identify the problem and get them the proper care. And again, that just kind of goes against, well, that's how that's not how the business works, right? The business works, you get in line, you get your appointment, you come when you're scheduled. But that doesn't matter because the mission of the company is such that we need to help everyone who needs the help. And so uh, I've seen that happen a good number of times here at my eye doctor. And it makes me really proud that the company culture is such that we, we if somebody needs help, we help them. We find a way because nobody schedules an emergency. They just happen. So how do we help people in the moment when those unfortunate things occur? What are any additional ways that you have seen my eye doctor take a stand for supporting the well-being of others? Yeah. So I think an important part of our business is making sure that we meet patient demand. And part of meeting patient demand is having trained optometrists who are ready to see patients and to help those patients. And there currently is not enough optometrists in the U.S. to see all the patients that that need care. And so, again, Sue Downs, starting from the top as the CEO, has really spent a lot of time kind of working with students and universities to make sure that we have enough people who are interested in the field of optometry and who are getting opportunities to study to become optometrists. And so we have done a good amount of work to make sure, for example, that uh, students of color, Black students, have an opportunity to enter into the profession and to come to work for my eye doctor and will help with their tuition. There's countless ways, I think, that Again, you go beyond the profit and loss statement of a company and you think about, I can do things that are both 
beneficial to the business, but also beneficial to people and to helping people live their best life and, and achieve their goals. And that's been really rewarding to see. Oh my gosh, that's such a great example. Thank you so much for sharing that. So one of your favorite quotes is from the book, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. And it's, you give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. What does that say to you, Noha? It goes back to this idea that people think about giving money as the way that they give. And that is definitely needed and people should continue to do that. But I also think that sometimes people hesitate because they may not have enough money to give or think, well, that's the only way to give. And I have found that you can give money, you can give time. And really the best way to give is to give when you don't expect anything back. That experience that my oldest daughter and I had when we went to spend time in the Dominican, yeah, it cost us some money to go. It cost us money for the the materials and whatnot that were used for the building. But really the fact that I left my computer, my cell phone, my other two kids, my husband, my job, I left everything for a week and just focused on giving of my time and myself and seeing that like my daughter, yes, she was working and she was digging and she was building and she was doing all these things, but she was also letting kids jump on her back and coloring in with them and practicing her Spanish with them and helping them with English. Just that giving of the time and how much they appreciated that really, I think, makes a quote like that come to life to say like, yeah, you could give money, but also like giving of yourself is is huge. And that I think is the opportunity that we all should be looking for. You know, I think that is what means the most to me is not just the the feeling that you've done something good for other people, but the smile that you see on their face, the tears, right, that you see on their, their eyes for the fact that they can't believe that somebody would do something so nice really is the reward. Yes, that when you give of yourself, you truly give. And you model that so well, Noha. I'm so grateful for the privilege of being your friend and for being the recipient of your endless generosity and just the opportunity to do the journey with you. Thank you for being who you are. Oh, thank you. You inspire me, Shannon. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Isn't she awesome? People like Noha and all of the guests on this show raise the standard and do so with humility and confidence. Let's consider the Khalil Gibran quote and how that speaks to each of us. You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Here are three things we can give of ourselves. Number one, give up. That's right. Give up trying to do everything. Sometimes we're so busy, we forget to be who we ideally want to be. Does that ever happen to you? I'm guilty. Stephen M. R. Covey has a great quote, which says, we judge ourselves by our intentions and judge others by their behavior. We don't mean to make people feel unimportant or insignificant when we rush them or multitask them, but we do. We make them feel that way. So if we could stop agreeing to do so much and squeeze in one more thing, then we could be thoughtful, compassionate, kind, interested, generous. So stop bogging yourself down with so much to do that you unintentionally become a breathless version of yourself. Give up trying to do enough to be enough. You're enough right now. Number two, give thanks. 
Who is someone in your life you're really thankful for? Let's do a mental scan through your week. Who are the people you interacted with? Whose smile can you envision? Who responded in a way that was really helpful? Who expressed a genuine interest in what you're doing or who you are or asked about people that you love? Who really listened to you this week? Thank them. Be specific about who they are and what they did or said that you really appreciate. Ideally, thank them face-to-face or verbally. If not, send them a note. Number three, give a damn. Look around and recognize where you could give of yourself. Maybe you could give some of your time to someone. Who around you might be struggling and could benefit from a short amount of your time, support, and coaching? Maybe someone in your neighborhood or your workplace is lonely. What could you do for them? Maybe send them a quick note or reach out, call them, check in. Perhaps the thing to give to others is respect. Show someone they matter. They are important and you value them. Or give kindness. Has someone mentioned their parent is ill? A child sick? Something going on with them? Call, send a text, a note, and just ask for an update. Let them know that they're on your mind. You recognize a team member is struggling with prioritizing? Offer to listen and help them establish a game plan. So to recap, give up taking on so many things that you risk being a version of yourself you barely recognize. Number two, give thanks to people in your life who you deeply value. Number three, give a damn by noticing the minute details of others' lives that you can celebrate, support, and acknowledge. Khalil Gibran is right. You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. Until next week, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.